0: You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. So we continue in the book of Acts, chapter 8, reading from verse uh, 26 to 40. Picking up where we left off with Philip, who had been um, preaching in uh, Samaria. I apologise, last week I think I said that Philip was preaching on the day of Pentecost. I'm getting, if I get Philip and Peter modelled up, my apologies for that. Just make those mental corrections. Um, that would be good. So um, we are following with Philip, who is called to, a, to another task. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of all her treasure. He had come down to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, And uh, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scriptures that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Well, may God bless uh, the reading and the preaching of his word to us this morning. So chapter 8 of the book of Acts is all about the extension of the gospel beyond Jerusalem. And the book of Acts uh, tells that expansion. It starts in Jerusalem amongst, uh, amongst the Jewish people uh, and ends in Rome amongst uh, amongst the Gentiles, so it moves from the Jews to the Gentiles. But in between, in chapter 8, we have um, these sort of people, you don't know quite where to put them. They're not fully Jewish, and nor are they uh, fully non-Jewish. We've had the Samaritans, and then we have this man, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And chapter 7 has really set us up, and Stephen's speech, for, uh, for the church to understand the progress of the gospel, it's laid the foundation. So Stephen, in that speech, showed that the the worship of the true and living God is not tied to a, a building in in Jerusalem, but uh, God is in heaven. The heaven is His throne; the earth is His footstool. And and Stephen, in that great long speech, tells of how God was worshipped. Abraham worshipped Him down in Mesopotamia. Joseph uh, worshipped Him uh, in Egypt. So wherever people are scattered, uh, they can worship the true. And living God. So that Stephen's speech uh, sets us up for this scattering. So this, even though there is this scattering, there's no theological problem of people now coming to worship the living God through Jesus Christ. Those who've come converted in Samaria don't need to trek to Jerusalem. In fact, the apostles went down to Samaria. And it's true, though, so this morning, we as we, we gather here, uh, we don't need to go anywhere else. We can gather in the presence of the living God through Jesus Christ. And there is nowhere on the planet we can go uh, and get nearer to the living God than Gloucester Prayers this morning. Okay. And I think maybe um, we should put that on the website. <laughs> nowhere you can get closer, nowhere to God than in Gloucester Prayers. There we are. But it's true, he is with us by the Spirit. Um, uh, the, way, the way to get closer to God, uh, that is, well, um, through, through death, uh, that is when we appear in the presence of God. So, um, but there's nowhere, as we, we gather together, we don't need to go anywhere. Else. We don't need to go on a pilgrimage to any holy place, for God has made himself known. So that, that is all the sort of setup for these chapters and for the expansion, um, expansion of the gospel. And so this account um, is, it's not simply about geography, about sort of where people can worship God. It's also about the identity. It's about this question of who can worship God. And we're just going to join and um, join Philip and sort of go through this journey, this encounter. We start with Philip, we're introduced to him, and then we meet uh, the Ethiopian, and then we look at this wonderful encounter in that uh, chariot, and as, as uh, the Ethiopian receives the gospel and is baptized, and they go their separate ways, the Ethiopian on down south, and Philip back up to Caesarea. So we start with Philip, he'd been preaching the gospel in Samaria, and um, and we've been introduced to him, and he's got this other assignment. And he's given these clear, very clear directions by an angel of the Lord in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem and Gaza. This is desert. And he arose, and he went. And the point here is it just needs to be very clearly demonstrated that the inclusion, the conversion and baptism of this Ethiopian unit is God's plan. This is God's plan. Uh, It's a bit like later when the the Gentiles are included. Uh, You have these visions of angel, uh, visions, and then angelic sort of meetings. And it's shown very clearly that the inclusion of the Gentiles is not a harebrained scheme of uh, Peter or Paul. It is God's own purpose and plan. And that's something similar here. We see this direction of Philip. So the guy, uh, the Ethiopian, gets converted. And when Philip kind of goes back to to the apostles, and they said, you did what? You baptize at a unit? Are you kidding? He said, well, look, there was an angel who told me to do it. So take it up with the angel of the Lord, he might have said. And so we have these very clear directions, and um, this angel, and it, it's another reminder, I think, of the supernatural character uh, of, of the Bible and what we're, we're dealing with here. Um, and, but that is why uh, we have, uh, I think, the appearance of the, of the angel. So um, and then we're introduced to the, the eunuch. Five times he's introduced as a eunuch. So that is obviously clearly important for our understanding of the for the of the story. And Luke is highlighting that point. So, because eunuch, so he's a eunuch. So he's had a surgical operation, meaning he can no longer have children, um, and that means that access for him was denied to temple worship. Okay. So there's a verse. Deuteronomy 23, 1, which I think would make quite a good memory verse, maybe. Um, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, so you might wanna, someone might want to make a song about that one. Don't, don't, let, don't let slugs and bugs get hold of this one. That's what we could say. So... Um, but you think, well, what, what is going on? What, why is there this weird uh, law back in Deuteronomy? And, and the, the tragic and the sad point was that this was a practice among pagan nations, that in order to worship the gods, uh, these false gods, they, they would do horrendous things. And you have a class of people who, are, who really are mutilated. And God did not want that in his worship. The Israelite parents were not to do this kind of thing to their children. Um, and just the, so the tragic factors around the world, even today, little, little girls are, are mutilated, not in the name of, of religion. So, but this was a pra- an ancient practice, but not in Israel. Thank you very much. Um, and so we see uh, this man, the, the, this great injustice has been uh, done to him. He's, he's this eunuch, and that is kind of key to, um, to the story. And he couldn't, therefore, approach... Uh, uh, be fully involved in the worship uh, of God and so verse 27 uh, of our text is um is interesting literally if you look at verse 27 it says and he arose and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch a court official of Candace now now literally it says um there was a man an Ethiopian a eunuch a court official of Candace and I, I really don't know why the ESV has left that out you see that If you've got the King James Version, you'll see that they've left it in. But it seems to me that this is quite an important point in the story that Luke, the physician, is saying that he is, this has happened to him, but nevertheless, here is a man. So in the Greco Roman world, in the ancient world, eunuchs would be considered as half men, mocked and ridiculed. There was a kind of, if you read some of the literature, there's a kind of cult of masculinity amongst the the Greco Roman world. And these these men would be, be ridiculed. Um, and so it seems to me that Luke's comment here that he is, in fact, a man is, uh, is important. And he's an Ethiopian, and that's uh, the ancient world. Ethiopia referred to the region south of, of, of Egypt. Um, so he was a black African and a court official. Um, and eunuchs often were used in, in high positions in court so to sort of rule over the harem or to be consorts to the, um, to the royal women for obvious reasons. And uh, he was in charge. Uh, so he was uh, unit of the royal court of Candace. So Candace was actually a title for the queens. It's like like Pharaoh was a title for rulers, or Caesar. Candace was a title for the queens or the queen mothers in the ancient kingdom of Kush. It was a kind of matrilineal kingdom. And it's modern day Kush is kind of modern day Sudan. So we're going below Egypt. Um, so this man was in charge of all that treasure. So he's a man of high position in court, but he would, have been a, he would have been a slave. He would have been a slave. So he's wealthy, but he's had, this, in a way, terrible injustice done to him. And he is a slave. And I think it's just important for us to really um, understand this in order to understand the full weight of, um, full weight of this passage. And he's come to Jerusalem to worship. So he come up the Nile and was returning, seated in his chariot, which wouldn't be a war chariot, uh, but would have been a, a bigger affair. There's at least three people: so there's Philip, the eunuch, and the driver. So it's a bigger affair. Um, and he's reading the prophet of Isaiah. So this shows his wealth. Uh, he's in the carriage, not on foot. You know, when Paul's going around the ancient world, he's always on his own foot. Um, and he's got a scroll. And the scrolls, that's an item of extreme value, it has been written by hand. So he's a wealthy man. But it's significant that here he is on his return journey, away from Jerusalem, that he receives salvation. What did he find in Jerusalem? Well, he couldn't enter the assembly of the Lord. He may have got as far as the court of the Gentiles. We don't know. So it's on his return journey, away from this centre, that he receives salvation verse 29 the spirit says to Philip go over and join this chariot again very clear guidance Philip ran ran to him and heard him reading from Isaiah the prophet so he would be reading out loud vocalizing the words and he's running behind the 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 chariot he's got this lovely scene there's this chariot Um, it's a bit it's a bit like if you imagine central London and a limo uh pulls up and and the sort of the the window goes down the back and you see a sort of a, a wealthy uh, Arab reading the Bible and you're sort of, God, God prompts you to go up and knock on the window and he invites you in. That's the sort of, there's this great difference of status really and wealth here. Here's Philip, the du- dusty Philip running along behind. It's an extraordinary scene. Um, and he, he takes the plunge and, and asks this question, do you understand what you're reading? And the response he gets is just both humble and warm, isn't it? God has obviously been at work in this man's life. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? He invites Philip to come and sit with him in the chariot. And here we see God's providence at work again. He, he happens to be reading Isaiah 53. He just happens to be uh, there. And, um, and this passage from Isaiah um, from which um, Philip will explain the gospel, this, this passage which speaks of the... Um, Christ-bearing uh, sin. And, uh, and the passage, the part that he reads, particularly draws attention to the, to the great injustice done to Christ. So these words, uh, like a sheep, he, Jesus, was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. So it just highlights this part that Luke cites, uh, and, and he would have sort of read the whole chapter and that whole area, but it highlights the great, grave injustice done to Christ. And who can describe his generation? Who can describe Christ? He didn't have any children. He was cut off. He died a young man. His life taken away from the earth. And you think of this eunuch as he's he reading this, is reflecting on this and hearing about the Lord Jesus, and you wonder. Um, how much can he can he sort of associate with christ and actually identify with him here was a man who was a young slave boy at some point had been led like a lamb to the shearers had been humiliated had had justice denied to him and who could tell of his generation he'd been damaged in such a way that he would have no children no future he was a slave and with no permanent name no permanent possessions he was wealthy but what would he have looking to the future? He faced this terrible injustice done to him. And did God see? Did God care? And uh, you look at Isaiah 53, and we see, yes, God does see. God does, God does care about injustice. He sent his son to, to die upon the cross to, to bear the punishment for sin. He does care for injustice and Christ rose again from the dead he was vindicated the father vindicated it mattered to him what happened to Christ he does see and he does hear the cause of injustice so you wonder as this man's reading this how deeply these things must have affected him as as he reflected on them then and and over the years you see this what a picture of Christ we have here the suffering servant the king who came to suffer and die for his people who who gave his life in such injustice uh, to bear our sins upon the cross, uh, to bear uh, the injustices which have been uh, that, that we have done. And we see that actually he does care for injustice which has been done to us. Does he see, does he care what has happened to us? Well, yes, he does. He gave his life uh, that sinners might be saved, um, that wickedness might be dealt with, um, that injustice might be met with God's perfect justice, uh, but that those who perpetrate injustice might themselves find forgiveness so he's reading this this passage of Isaiah and from there uh, well he asks his question verse 34 the unit says to Philip about whom I ask you does the prophet say this himself or someone else which if you know that part of Isaiah is a good question because sometimes the identity of the servant is it's kind of hard to work out sometimes he's referring to Israel sometimes he's speaking of the first person, sometimes of another person. So so the the eunuch is asking really good good questions, and this great humility is asking to, to, to learn. And Philip begins there and tells him the good news of Jesus. And they're going along the road. They came to some water. Again, pure chance in the desert. Oh, look, water. And the eunuch says, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? It's just a wonderful question. Does the fact that he's a slave prevent him from being baptized and included in God's people? Well, no. Does the fact that that he's a a unit prevent him from being baptized, being included in God's people? Well, no. Well, what prevents him from being baptized? Nothing. He's confessed his sins. He believes in Christ. There is nothing to prevent him from uh, coming to Christ and being fully included within the people of God. This is full inclusion. He's he can come before the presence of God the Father. And that is the offer of the gospel, that if we repent of our sins, there is nothing which will stop us from coming to Christ, nothing but our sin, and God can overcome that. So um, he comes, and uh, he, he's commanded the chariot to, to stop. He's quite, the unit's quite active in this whole scene. Um, and they both went down into the water, went down I think, from the from the chariot into the water. It's not saying anything here about the mode of baptism. <clears throat> and Philip and the eunuch, and uh, Philip baptised him. Here's a deacon baptising him. Um, and then when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carries Philip away and the eunuch sees him no more and went on his way rejoicing. And then we have Philip up in Azotus, up north. He's going up towards Caesarea, which is on, on the coast. Uh, and we pick up Caesarea. That's where Cornelius is then converted. We pick up that later in the story. And I don't think this is necessarily an instance of Philip being kind of spirited away, like in Quantum Leap, but I, but I like to think it was that. I like to think it was that. Um, he's kind of moved around as this servant of the Lord, like an Elijah figure, and he goes off to the next thing. And then we have this uh, uh, Ethiopian going back uh, south. And they're, but they're in the desert place, away from the temple, away from anyone else, he has, he's baptised. He's got this great sign of the Spirit of God uh, at work in his life, of being united to Jesus Christ, cleansed from his sins. And so he goes back south, back to the Nile, back to the kingdom of Cush, to the affairs of state, to all that he had faced there, but now filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, filled with joy and peace, knowing God as Father. And he probably would have kept reading the book of Isaiah. We may have already read it through. Um, and there's an interesting passage in Isaiah 56, which speaks of God's promise to uh, those who are, who are eunuchs. Um, and I'll read these words. It speaks of this remarkable promise. It speaks of, in this term, says, terms, it says this. Let not the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, And the part about the Sabbath, they couldn't enter into full worship, but they could uh, keep Sabbath and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house, within my walls, in the family home, in God's presence, a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So he was a man who faced great injustice, pain, difficulty, he had no future really, would agree, might have been tempted to say, well, I'm just a dry, for all this kind of status and wealth, I'm just a dry tree, my life is fruitless, um, and, uh, and yet he's baptised into Christ. And here's this great promise of the gospel, that those that are in Christ, we will bear much fruit, we'll be fruitful. Um, and so he's given this honoured place in the Father's house. So This is great promise and this great hope um, here. So as I sort of gather, try and gather some of these things together to uh, bring us to land, um, what do we see? Well, I think, first of all, we just see a wonderful example of uh, God's sovereign control over the advance of the gospel. We've seen that where there's this persecution and scattering, uh, but even in the midst of that, the sovereign Lord is working to direct his church and direct his people. We see, uh, we also see how the Lord uses people in the advance of his gospel. He didn't commit the message to to angels. You think, well, that might have been easier. But he commits it to uh, fallible men and women and obedient people. And so as we think of our own lives here in Gloucester or wherever the Lord will call you or calls you to be, uh, it's the Lord's purpose to use his church in the advance of the gospel and to send us on his errands and on his ways and you see just the, his providential control in remarkable ways here and yet he he uses his church uh, today to bring the good news of the gospel um, there's only so much you can do by facebook and kind of the internet you you, know, you cannot baptize people on a zoom call so the, the god uses the church and it's called us here in to gloucester and we look to him and trust that he will graciously use us. Another point I think is important just to draw out, it's kind of an obvious point, um, but the gospel was native to Africa before it ever reached Europe. Um, kind of an obvious point there, isn't it? But here we see this black African who's received uh, the gospel. And even if you look at the Old Testament, there were people from Cush from uh, who were black Africans and actually integrated within the covenant community. So Moses had a Cushite, a black African wife and there are other people who are joined to the people of God so uh, in the old covenant uh, the people of God it's not a racial category it's a covenantal category people were brought in even there um, and the great promises of Cush this region uh, turning to the Lord through uh, through the old covenant so um, Psalm 68:31 declares that Cush shall reach out its arms to God um, and then uh, other other verses so um, God's people that so Amos expresses a concern God's concern for Cush. So this is Amos. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, says the Lord. Um, and there's various promises that people from Cush will be brought in. And so and here we see the gospel being brought to Africa before it ever reaches Europe. And I think that's kind of important, sometimes we sort of browbeaten into thinking well, that the Christian faith is a, is a white man's religion which went with colonial oppression to the, to the colonies and, and you sort of think well yeah there were dreadful things done uh, in the name of the Christian faith and in the colonial era but at root when you just, we need to deep, dig a bit deeper and just see God's purposes for the nations and actually purposes for Africa which were there uh, right, right at the, the beginning um, so uh, we see that but I think that the, one of the central things we see in uh, this passage is just how the, the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ meets this man in, in all his affliction and difficulty and brings him to uh, salvation and brings a future and a hope to this individual. So we've had Philip preaching to, to crowds, but here is just this, this individual. And it's a bit of a strange account in a way. So later on you have... Um, the gospel going out to, um, to the Gentiles, and it goes to Cornelius, and then the mission to the Gentiles. You don't really have a sort of a great omission a to, to eunuchs following this part of, part of Acts that we're told about, but I just think it's an example of the Lord's concern for, for people on the fringes, people with complicated backgrounds, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ has got an eye to people who have faced injustice and suffering, And you just see the great compassion that the gospel goes out. And this man, he sends Philip to him and just very tenderly and mercifully opens the gospel to this man who has suffered so much affliction. And we see God's just deep work in this man's life that he he goes home. This this man who is still a slave and still his his own personal history is still very tragic in a sense. And yet that is not the defining feature of his life. He has a, a future. He has a home, He has a name within God's purposes. And so I think this passage will speak to people who've, who have who suffering, who have suffered, and perhaps those who have suffered terrible injustice and indignity to see there is a hope, and the gospel does bring hope. And, and perhaps also to, to some of us, when we feel, well, my own life is uh, fruitless um, and, and barren," that actually we see, well, that is not the, the story that God is writing in our lives if we come to Jesus Christ. He's promised fruitfulness and abundance and so we just need to trust in him. So there's a real hope we see here in this eunuch and just how the Lord has worked in him and just see the dignity uh, that is given to this man and um, he will of course in due course will have received uh, healing and blessing in in the resurrection, the life of the world to come. And so um, we see him and, and I think this passage or passage like this should also stir our hearts concern for those who face injustice in our our own age those who are really awfully treated in different uh, different religious systems around the world or just different regimes and our hearts should long that they might uh, hear this good news and know the christ who can bring comfort to those in deep deep trouble so let us pray as we close You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk.